Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message, Abraham and Abimelech, as Pastor Joel preaches on Genesis chapter 20. Uh, before we jump into the text and the message, I actually want to paint a picture of where we live here in the Portland metro area. Portland metro, uh, Multnomah, Clackamas, Washington counties, this area. There, there was an Oregonian article in 2017, and I think it's just probably gotten worse since then. Uh, but they gave some very, uh, like, there's statistics that you, f- that you feel as we live here, but you may not always hear. Uh, One of them is 42% of people in the Portland metro area claim to be atheists or agnostic. They want nothing to do with with God, not not in any sense uh, of the word, 42%. Uh, Even that was 2015, so my guess is the last seven years, as I've known a lot of people have moved to more conservative areas, maybe that number's even gotten higher. And very many articles talk about it it attracting people that are like anti-church, anti-God coming here because they feel a safe place, 42%. Uh, 50% of those, uh, same survey, uh, said that religion is not important at all, which means there's 2% that are probably uh, doing something, but they don't even believe it uh, inside. 71% of people in that survey said that religion causes more problems than it solves. 71% of the people that live around us are your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, think that faith and religion is actually the problem. That, that us meeting here like this, this is a problem. We're causing more problems than we are solving. Now, imagine uh, if you meet somebody in this Portland metro area for the first time and you exchange names like you normally do. Hey, I'm so-and-so. Everyone's usually really, really friendly. And then the question always comes up, and maybe for you uh, it doesn't mean as much, but I, I sometimes dread it because they, hey, say, what do you do for work? Now, as a pastor... I'm telling you, there's some times where I hesitate and go, what do, I, do I really want to tell them? I'm a pastor. Uh, because I've noticed I get one of two reactions, mainly. Uh, the first one they say is, oh, I'm a pastor, and their response is, oh. And that's it. Like, that's the end of the conversation. It is the most awkward, abrupt end you'll ever have. So if you're ever in a party and you want to get out of a conversation, <laughs> just tell them, hey, I'm a pastor. And they'll be like, oh, Awkward leap. The other one is, you, you get this, uh, every now and then I get this, it's like, oh, that's good. Yeah, I used to go to a church. It's like on the, it's that one that's on the other side of the, down the street, the road. I forget the name of it. It's Pastor uh, so-and-so. Do you know them? Like, I said, no, there's a, there's a moment of hesitation uh, when what do you do uh, for work? Because I think, here, here, here's, my, here's my tension, what I wrestle with inside. I look out at this Portland metro area, and I could very much say like Abraham, there seems to be no fear of God at all in this place. 
Sometimes when people ask me, what, what do you do for work? There, there's really no way around it, right? I'm a pastor. I don't know what else to say. And maybe if I had another thing, I might say it at times. But even though I, I know what, there, there's times where I'm bold. I'm like, yes, I'm a pastor. I get to tell people about Jesus. And you're hurting, and I can tell you the answer. I, I, I know Jesus who can heal and forgive and save. And I'm bold, and I see these opportunities open. But then there's other times where I'm not as bold. And I think, why do I hesitate? Well, sometimes I hesitate, I think, because, uh, because of me. I think people are going to look at me and go, y- you're a pastor? <laughs> they let anyone just be a pastor? <laughs> you, don't, you don't look like a pastor. Uh, one time, early on, at Mount Hood uh, Hospital, I went in after hours to meet, pray with somebody in the ER, and the person at the front desk <laughs> I said, hey, I'm here, uh, one, one of the people that goes to my church, I'm a pastor, I'd like to come. And they're like, uh, you don't look like a pastor, how do we know that you're a pastor? I'm like, how do you, what do you, <laughs> I actually had, it's the only business card I've given out in like 13 years, was to that one lady that said I was a pastor on there. And I, I wish I was a little quicker, I would have said like, oh, let me preach you a sermon and then I'll take up an offering. Uh, but I, I didn't. Well, I think I also, I also hesitate because I look at some people around this area with their tats all up their sleeves and a bunch of piercings and profanity on their shirt and cigarette in their mouth, and I go, this is not going to end well. They don't look like church-going people. And, and so I just take a deep breath, and when they ask me, I go, I'm a pastor. Now, just like I have both this, like, fear of man and fear of God, it's struggling inside of me. Uh, this, this fear and this faith, the, the both are competing and at work in me. Today we're going to come to a, a passage of Scripture where Abraham is going to be in, put in this stressful situation and the same battle is going to happen in him. And we're going to see that this heart of fear, this fear of man is actually going to win and it's going to reveal uh, what he sees and what he does. What you see and what you do in those moments of decision, those stressful, those pressure comes on, reveals actually what's at work in your heart. Is it either faith or fear? Now, if you're sitting here today, you might be thinking, okay, how do I know if I'm seeing out of faith or, or fear? How do I know if I'm looking out and, and, and deciding things and seeing things and moving because of fear of man or fear of God? Well, This brings us back to our text today. As Abraham is going to stand before this king, really, and and, and this is going to be, uh, he's going to see something, he's going to do something that's going to reveal where his heart is at. We're going to see both faith and fear battling each other. When he responds with fear, though, he sees wrong, and then he does wrong, and that ends up with hurting lots of people. A heart of fear, sees wrong, does wrong, hurts lots of people. But at the very end of the chapter, we're going to get this glimpse of faith, this fear of, of God in him that, that sees right, it does right, and then blesses lots of people. So it's, so it's very simple. The message is very simple. A heart of fear sees wrong and does wrong. A heart of faith sees right and does right. So let's read our text today from Genesis chapter 20, and beginning in verse 1. If you want to follow along, we have uh, Bibles in the pews. We're on page 14. Genesis chapter 20. Verse 1, from there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. 
And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? It's very similar to chapter 18. Are you going to sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous? Verse 5. Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not, my, not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abram's wife. God has blessing to the reading of the word. Finish this story and you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't we read this one already? Uh, if you remember back in Genesis 12, uh, Abraham flees and goes to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. And as he gets down to Egypt, he does this thing and says, oh yeah, she's my sister. Well, then at that, at that point, uh, Sarah was looking mighty fine. And so Pharaoh's like, okay, I want to take her uh, to be my wife. And then all these plagues break out, and then they give him back, and he gets all these extra things. The, the story is actually very similar, and I think it's on purpose. Uh, I think it's meant to slow down, and we need a good cup of coffee as we can read both of these stories and compare and contrast, like what details are given and not given, and how are these two stories? Why is Abraham doing this again? Well, it's a very short chapter. It's only 18 verses. And when I got done uh, this week, I had so many more questions. I wish the chapter would have been actually a lot longer because there's so many questions. It's just begging to answer. 
Why did Abraham leave where he was? He'd just gotten the promise. You're going to have a kid, a seed, and you're going to get this land. And then he takes off moving, and we don't know why. He, he, just, he just leaves. And he actually moves to a place where he's afraid the, the guy in charge there is going to kill him. Why would you move to a place where a guy's going to kill him? And then why is Sarah going along with this whole ruse of like, you're my sister and you're my brother? Why, why is Sarah like involved in all this stuff? Well, there's lots of great questions. I think that's the, we need the coffee and we just need to talk and meditate on this chapter. But, but here's, uh, here's what we do know. Uh, we know that Sarah and Abraham move. They go to Gerar. They go to the place and they introduce themselves as brother and sister. Uh, we know that Abimelech takes uh, Sarah as one of his wife, but doesn't, uh, doesn't like sleep with her or, or really like confirm uh, that marriage. And, and more than likely, he's looking to combine tribes together. Uh, it doesn't say in this one at all that uh, Sarah was very good of appearance. It just says he took her maybe to, be, to combine Abraham's tribe to Bimelech's tribe. Like, hey, yeah, let's get back together. Let's get these tribes uh, together. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just confusing, though, of like why, uh, why Abraham does this again. And, and so the question is asked by Abimelech, and I think it's central to our story. He asks the question in verse 10. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see? that you did this thing? What, what are you seeing that you're, that's making you respond and, and act? I think Abraham's a lot like us, isn't he? He's a mixed bag full of fear and, and faith. And, and if you see wrong, then you're going to do wrong. And it reveals a heart of, of fear. So, so we ask him, Abraham, what, what did you see that you did this thing? Well, I, I want to point out three things a heart of fear sees wrong. Three things a heart of fear sees wrong. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, a heart of fear makes wrong assumptions. Makes wrong assumptions. Uh, in verse, one, uh, uh, verse 11, it says, I did, not, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. He, he assumes. He, he goes down these, these like Philistine tribes these, with these tattoos and smoking, and they all got their motorcycles and these t-shirts, and he goes, oh man, there is no fear of God at all in this place. These are not good church-going people. So he goes down and he looks and he assumes wrong, because God actually speaks to them. He speaks to Abimelech, and Abimelech listens right away and obeys right away. Then he speaks to all of his people, and all of his people listen, and, and they, have, they said they were very afraid. Like the fear of God was all over that place. It moved them to obedience. So when Abraham said, I, I, see that there, I think that there was no fear of God in this place, he's actually diagnosing his own heart. The only place in our story where there's no fear of God is in Abraham's heart. It makes you wonder, how, how often do we do that? How often do we make assumptions on people, on their motives, on their, on their hearts? We look at people and say, well, they would never, they would never uh, come to church, or they would never pray, or, oh, I, yeah, I could see why they would be kind of like not fully, you know, person of integrity or, or honesty. And when we do that, when we make these, these wrong assumptions, we look at other people and we judge their hearts, we're in a sense, we're, we're standing in the place of God going, I can read your heart. I can read your motive. 
How often have we done that? Well, you did that because, and you fill in the blank, like you can read their, you can read their heart. And that really comes from a heart of fear of yourself, wanting to take control and, and, and playing the part of God. We want to take that control over everything and make all those wrong assumptions. We play the part of God looking at the heart. The first thing a heart of fear does is it makes wrong assumptions. The second thing, you're writing, taking notes, jump this down. It jumps to hopeless conclusions. It jumps to hopeless conclusions. He goes on and says, and uh, because there's no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. He, he, first he makes this wrong assumption, and then he gets on that road and, and, and drives it all the way down to the very end of the road. And, and basically states, I know the future. They're going to they're gonna kill me. He jumps all the way to the end. And maybe they would have killed him. Maybe it's for like something he knows, or this is kind of what it, like how it normally is in this culture. But he doesn't know for certain. Maybe it would happen, but maybe not. And in fact, as you read the story, they don't kill him for his wife. He actually blesses him for his disobedience. He like gives him this grace upon grace. He's blessed for, for wrongdoing. But this heart of fear, as Abraham enters into this place, this heart of fear jumps to hopeless conclusions. And we can see it. When our, when our hearts are, are really revealed in a heart of fear, we jump to these extremes as well. If I share with my neighbor about Jesus, they'll think I'm crazy and they'll never talk to me again. I can tell the future. If, if anyone really knew me and what I've done this week, they would never let me back in here again. Uh, extremes of never and always. Uh, this might be a little TMI, but I'm going to show you anyway. So there was like 10 years ago, I got this little bump, Dr. Gina, I got this little bump on my chest, and it grew really fast. And you know what? I th I'm like, what is that? So, of course, I Google it. Uh, and... I have a tumor. I have a tumor. And so I'm going to die, and I'm in my head going, I'm going to die. I have a tumor. I'm going to die. Well, then I actually go to the doctor, and they say, no, it's ingrown hair. <laughs> but a heart, come on, you're laughing, but you know all of you have done that before too, right? You, my heart of fear uh, takes, makes a wrong assumption, and then I take that assumption, I run with it all the way to the very end. I got an ingrown hair, and I'm going to die. But we do it all the time, right? I, I can't have this conversation. It would, it would kill me. If I brought this up, it, it, would, it would be over. If I invited my friends to, to youth group, they would think I'm crazy, and I would have no other friends, and no one in the school would talk to me. You jump to hopeless conclusions. We see things like no one could ever love me. No one ever cares. I'm not going to amount to anything. It's all from a heart of fear. And in doing that, anytime we do that, jump to those hopeless conclusions, we're putting ourselves in the place of God again, saying, I know the future and I will tell you what the future is. I can control it. If I tell them I'm a pastor, 
Those people, you know whose people I'm talking about. If I tell them that I'm a pastor, boy, they're going to embarrass me in front of everyone. I'm going to feel rejected. Uh, I, I might respond wrong. And then we're going to have to move. My kids are going to have to go to a new school. All their grades are going to plummet. They're not going to get a good job. And then they're going to end us homeless in Kentucky. So, <laughs> so obviously, I can't tell that person I'm a pastor because you can see what happens, right? I, you jump to those hopeless conclusions. Well, third thing, the third thing that a, a heart of fear, how, how it's revealed and what you see and what you do, is it defends dishonest thinking. It defends dishonest thinking. In verse 12, Abraham says, besides, and he's been caught in this whole thing, but he says, besides, she is indeed my sister. I mean, the daughter of my father, though not of the, the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. You see, she's been my sister a lot longer than she's been my wife. She became my wife, but she's always been my, my sister. So I really, when you think about it, I didn't lie. I'm totally innocent. And this heart of fear manipulates the truth, gives just the portions you want people to see, and all of it to defend your pride at the expense of being honest. I didn't do anything wrong. I think if you find yourself defending yourself, working really hard to defend your actions, you might actually be defending dishonest thinking. And that really comes from a heart of, of fear. So, so when you really have to work really hard, no, 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 I'm right. No, 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 I did. No, 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 that's okay. No, well, that, that's taken out of context. Well, you, you really need, to, if you're working really hard, it might be out of fear rather than just responding with humility. Charles Spurgeon the great preacher said this, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. From a heart of fear, we see wrong. We make uh, wrong assumptions. We jump to hopeless conclusions and then we start defending our, our pride and our, this dishonesty. And, and from that, Abraham goes from that heart of fear that's revealed and it hurts a ton of people. I mean, just this little secret. Hey, Sarah, just between you and me, let's, let's do this. That little secret ends up hurting Abimelech, who offers him into his, his kingdom and says, yeah, you come be my guest. It, it hurts his, his wife. It hurts all the, the slave women over there. It hurts all the husbands and the fathers who are grieving with their wives. It hurts an entire tribe and nation. Not only that, but to discredit their own nation and to shame them. This little secret sin and how it ends up hurting everyone, all because they made wrong assumptions, he jumped to hopeless conclusions, and he defended his dishonest thinking. But like all of us, Abraham's a mixed bag of faith and fear. And we see just at the end here, we're going to see moments of this heart of, of faith. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's almost scratching for this. As we see Abraham, and we'll, we'll see this, Abraham was such a broken person and how the Lord would ever use him. But he uses these like just glimpses of faith, just these smallest thing, and God goes, Yes, I'll bless that. I want to point out two things. As he responds from this heart of faith, he'll see right and then he'll act right. Here's the first thing that a heart of faith sees right. Uh, number one, it says, humbly receives grace from others. Humbly receives grace from others. In verse 14, it says, Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. 
And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Uh, Abraham and Sarah have been, been caught in this whole thing. I mean, uh, and Abimelech's response is really to offer this gift of grace. It's forgiveness. Uh, Abimelech, in our story, takes the wrong that's been done to him and in return offers this forgiveness and grace that just covers over all of that. But in order to accept that, Abraham has to admit that, yeah, we did wrong. I mean, all these people are going to know. You gave Sarah and now she's back? How did that happen? Well, yeah, we did wrong. But not only that, he's like, he receives all this stuff on, on top of it. Just like, just like in Egypt, he humbly receives what he doesn't deserve. He deserves none of that. None of that is like, boy, Abraham, thanks so much. You're, you're so awesome. It points out that it's really, it's, uh, it's often easier to forgive someone else than to receive forgiveness for yourself. It's, it's often people go, hey, I don't mind extending grace. But the person you extend grace to goes, no, I don't deserve it. Well, yeah, that's grace. You don't deserve it. Uh, it's so much easier for, for most of us to, to offer help. If I said, hey, I need some help this Tuesday, I bet everyone would be there. But if you need help, I got it. And I think because all that, it means you have to humble yourself. And we don't like to be humbled. But a heart, a heart of faith, it humbles itself to receive this grace. The second thing, a heart of faith is concerned for the needs of others. It's concerned for the needs of others. It actually looks out for what other people's needs are. Verse 17, Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. The heart of faith is concerned with other people. It gets your eyes off of yourself. Really, a heart of, of fear, a fear of mankind, is really self-centered. And a heart of faith gets your eyes out to look at other people all around you. And this whole thing is amazing. That God would use Abraham. A broken man like Abraham still. After all he's done. And I think as you reflect on this story, you have to say that God is relentlessly faithful to his covenant. He's like stubbornly faithful. I'm going to keep the covenant. I'm going to make the way. Even when Abraham breaks it and runs away, uh, it's not about Abraham. You read the story and you're like, he's more broken than Abimelech, who is this like Philistine guy. But God's still going to use him. I think this is hope for all of us. Because we can say that God does not discard broken people. Just because you've messed up in the past, just because you're carrying something does not mean God's like, oh, not perfect enough, you're done. And in fact, the goodness and grace of God says, yes, I still come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll forgive you. I'll, I'll use you. It's not over yet. Whatever your story is, it's not over yet. And it's also put you in a place to really be like this priest or this prophet for the people around you. We have 71% of the people around us uh, in the Portland metro area that think that faith is youth useless. Who, who's going to pray for them? Who, who's going who's gonna to stand up and say, God loves you. He has something amazing for you. Who... 
Who is it that God has placed on your heart? He's put each of you as a, a priest and a prophet for the people around you. And you might think, well, I don't even really know how to pray. That's okay. God uses broken people in mighty ways. If you just uh, have this heart of faith in him, that he will do it. So, so maybe, there's a, maybe there's a friend that he's put on your, your heart, or a child, or a neighbor, uh, someone. And I just want to encourage you as we, we close up this message to be praying for them. Uh, to write their name down, put it somewhere, and just to be praying for them. Pray for them over and over that the Lord would open their eyes that they could see, that he'd give them a heart of, of faith, that they could respond and, and do things to the love of God, that they could receive the mercy that God has so graciously offered through his son. And then watch for opportunities to tell them. Just some, something simple like, hey, uh, I don't know if you know I'm a Christian, and Lord, just put on my heart, I've just been praying for you. Just want to tell you that. With, without... without uh, making any assumption, or, or I know how they're going to respond. Or say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Without jumping to any conclusion, like this hopeless conclusion, well, oh, now they'll never be my friend again. Well, don't, don't do that. Have a heart of faith and see how the Lord opens up opportunities, even this week. And then I want to encourage you. If you have someone on your heart, or you're praying for someone already, or, or you, just, you see the Lord open an opportunity this week, and you get to tell somebody, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm, uh, I follow Jesus. And, and so I'm praying for you, and I love you. If you ever have any questions or anything like that, let me know. Text me or email me. Let me know how it goes when you, you talk to them. Let, let me know if there's opportunities that open up. And, and if you're praying for them, I would, I would be more than happy to to, to join you in praying for that person too. So send, send me a little text or an email that said, hey, I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for open, open doors for the gospel for them. Church, we are put in a very strategic place, aren't we? So let's, uh, let's have hearts full of faith and believe that God is going to use even a little church full of broken people in the country uh, just outside of Portland. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you, and we um, thanks for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thanks for how you are patient and humble and kind to call us, even, to use us in this area. And Lord, with the people that we come in contact with throughout the week, in the grocery store, in restaurants, um, just out and about, Lord, would would you allow us to be priests and prophets for you, that we could tell people about you and pray for people on their behalf. And Lord, would you open up doors of opportunities for us, that we could proclaim very boldly that I follow Jesus, and it has made all the difference in my life. And Lord, would we give you glory and honor for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.